I am Solis Veritas, and this is the Defending American Exceptionalism podcast. It appears many Americans have forgotten what makes America exceptional. This podcast is here to remind them. The greatest country on earth has been so successful that it may now be suffering from that very success. The lack of any real suffering in recent decades has made it all too easy for people to criticize and malign the greatest country ever to have been established by man, while sitting comfortably in their centrally heated homes, watching big screen TVs, interacting with their fellow men primarily through social media, and experiencing life events via virtual reality video games. This podcast is meant to serve as a reminder and tutorial on the unique and special form of government our founders created, and to explain the real history, purpose, and structure of America. It hopes to offer a counter to the falsities gaining popularity in the past 20 years, probably even longer, that America is no better than any other country, no different and no more honorable. Indeed, the very qualities of our country and her people that make it great are under attack in a way that threatens the very foundation on which it balances. Keyboard warriors, echo chambers, and virtue signaling with no substance are all the means by which individuals hide from any thoughtful discourse with their neighbors and make nearly impossible any honest, intellectual discussion of the issues of the day. If you'd like to engage in those types of discussions, stay tuned. This episode is being recorded on February 2nd, 2022. Starting with this episode, the Defending American Exceptionalism podcast will be released on Thursday mornings each week, a move from the prior Tuesday release schedule. Now you can listen to the podcast as you ready yourself for the weekend. Episode 52, Russia, Russia, Russia. It seemed that during the Trump administration, it was hard to go a day without hearing talk of Russia. Russia's Russia's interference with the 2016 election, the collusion of Trump team members with that nation, and just an overall shadow cast upon anyone who might appear friendly to Russia. Of course, these discussions of that nation were disingenuous and often false. What is not false is that today's Russia, as its predecessor the Soviet Union before it, is no friend of the United States. As the Second World War was coming to a close, it became necessary to enlist the cooperation of the Soviet Union. This cooperation was not because that country was really an ally. Indeed, just the opposite. And in most ways, that has remained the case. In 1939, as Hitler was making his move to take over much of Europe, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union created an alliance in which they divided Poland and ultimately much of the rest of Eastern and part of Western Europe. The Non-Aggression Pact, known as the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, essentially was an agreement by both of these brutal regimes to provide permission to run through Eastern Europe, occupying other sovereign nations along agreed-upon divisions of the land, without fear of reprisal from the other. Thus began the occupation by the Soviet Union of much of Eastern Europe. During this part of the war, Soviet occupation of many of the Baltic states occurred with little military resistance. Of course, befriending Hitler was was as unwise as befriending Stalin, and in 1941, the Germans attacked the Soviet Union, and fighting between those two nations in Eastern Europe continued until the end of the war and the Soviet pushback of Nazi Germany within its own original borders. It was only when faced with near defeat by the Nazi attack that the Soviet Union seemingly changed sides, finally taking military action to assist in the defeat of Hitler, but not out of good intentions and not in in opposition to the atrocities of the Nazi regime. It was for the Soviet Union's own gain. Contrary to leftist myth, it was not the Soviet Union that is the single hero in the defeat of Hitler. 
For without the capitulation to Hitler's land grabs in exchange for its own, the Nazis never would have held as much of Eastern Europe as they did. And treating the Soviet Union as some sort of hero in the end of the war overlooks the atrocities perpetrated by Joseph Stalin within the borders of the likes of Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Romania, and Poland. The types of leadership and oppression so many experienced at the hands of the communist leaders of the Soviet Union trace back to the Russian Revolution and the very tyrannical objectives of those who rose to prominence through that revolution. The Lenins and Stalins of the world were little more than brutal dictators, espousing some false utopia of communist equality. So it should come as no surprise that as World War II came to a close, leaving in its wake two apparent superpowers, the United States and its atomic military capabilities, and the Soviet Union, the perceived military savior of Eastern Europe. Despite a number of conferences among the post-World War II Big Three, the United Kingdom, the United States, and the Soviet Union, the tensions between the Western Allies and the Communist Soviet Union would soon grow into what would be referred to for decades as the Cold War. Despite numerous discussions at the Tehran Conference in 1943, the Yalta Conference in 1945, and the Potsdam Conference later that same year, the peace between the two superpowers hung in a delicate balance, always. It took Stalin no time to announce in 1946, only months after victory in the war, to say in a speech that communism and capitalism were simply incompatible. It was never the intent of the Soviet Union to be allies with the United States. And in the next few years, the United States had to pressure the USSR to leave Iran, all while the Soviets continued plans to expand elsewhere, including taking over the government in Czechoslovakia in 1948 and supporting the communist takeover of China by Mao Zedong. Shortly after World War II, U.S. intelligence, intelligence information made it clear that the Soviet Union would soon also have nuclear capabilities, which they demonstrated they did in 1949. And the intentions of that nation and the potential use of their weapons was never friendly. Too few of the members of our younger generations understand the significance of the Cold War or its continuing repercussions for U.S.-Russian relations. But there can be no doubt, given recent international issues, that the United States and Russia have very different views of the world. To understand those differences requires an understanding of the Cold War, and if time permitted, an even deeper dive into the shift in ideology that occurred in 1917 following the Russian Revolution. With the time constraints of this podcast, a brief overview of the Russian Revolution will suffice to assist in discussing the current situation between the United States and Russia. The Russian Revolution was a violent overthrow of the Romanov dynasty, the ruling family in Russia. Russia had, in fact, been ruled by a czar for centuries. But led by Vladimir Lenin, the Bolsheviks' Marxist communists used class warfare to rile the masses and took over the government without much bloodshed due to earlier violent events that had weakened the existing government's resolve to fight back. Fears of too much bloodshed hearkening back to the revolts of 1905, where hundreds of unarmed protesters were killed, made the current government unwilling to put up much of a fight against the communists. The Cold War was a solidifying of the clear conflict between free societies and communism. In addition, the Soviet Union had not lost its lust for foreign occupation of sovereign countries. For example, following conclusion of the Second World War, the Soviet Union did not pull out of the Baltic states. It instead continued to control them. Just as post-Russian Revolution, the government of the Soviet Union expanded to annex additional territory. The Soviet doctrine continued to be 
that its success rested in expanding communism worldwide. Indeed, the USSR acquired 15 republics, other countries that came under Soviet communist control during the time period from 1940 to 1991. To spread communism globally also meant participation in an arms race with the United States, the only nation positioned to thwart the Soviet Union's goals of communist domination. But a nuclear arms race came with risks for both nations and the world. The concept of MAD, M-A-D, Mutually Assured Destruction, was said to have prevented either country from any serious consideration of use of these weapons against the other, as a counterattack would most certainly only serve to destroy both countries. But despite attempts at diplomacy, neither nation ever trusted the other, and tense moments brought them close to the brink of war on more than one occasion. In the decades to come, the United States would find itself on opposite sides of military conflicts from the Soviet Union in both Korea and Vietnam. The interference around the globe by the Soviet Union's push for communist expansion would find that country in Poland, Afghanistan, Hungary, Cuba, and others. From the Bay of Pigs invasion and the Cuban Missile Crisis to the shooting down of U-2 spy plane pilot Francis Gary Powers, the hostility and distrust between the United States and the Soviet Union continued. The approach taken in the Reagan administration to test our confidence in capitalism was to spend the Soviets into destruction in the arms race, and that proved to be effective when the Soviet Union, no longer able to continue the levels of funding to keep up with the United States and its own self-imposed economic disasters, collapsed, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and the full collapse of the Soviet government in 1991. Despite some progress toward real acceptance of each other during the time of Mikhail Gorbachev's leadership from 85 to 91 in the Soviet Union and more cordial relationships during the years of Russian President Boris Yeltsin's tenure, as the years continue and the motives of the likes of Vladimir Putin become more transparent, the continuing hostility between the two countries clearly remains, and for good reason. The end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union created a world with a single superpower, the United States. Of course, when only one nation sits atop the power structure, those with ideologies in conflict with it strive to topple it. This is where we currently find ourselves with Russia, and with the likes of China. What Putin's Russia, however, seems unwilling to accept, if it is still true with the current administration, is that Russia is not the Soviet Union of the 1950s but it is a nation that can cause serious harm to the United States and remains a real threat to national security. To date, the United States is still a greater economic and military power than Russia, but Russia has been investing in its military and in weapons development. And Russia is opportunistic. It sits waiting for any weakness on which to pounce. In this way, there is little difference among the Russia of 1916, the Soviet Union, and the Russia of today. As British Prime Minister Lord Palmerston noted in 1853, the policy and practice of the Russian government has always been to push forward its encroachments as fast and as far as the apathy or want of firmness of other governments would allow it to go, but always to stop and retire when it met with decided resistance and then to wait for the next favorable opportunity. The same statement could be said about today's Russia, and President Putin does not hide the fact admitting in 2014 that his goal is a world more friendly to Russian interests. And in today's climate, not only is Putin continuing to exert Russian influence and to promote Russian interests, he sits, as Russia always has, ready to take any opportunity to encroach upon more territory. 
following the collapse of the Soviet Union, a loose confederation of states, including Russia and many of the nations that had been annexed by the USSR, was formed. Known as the Commonwealth of Independent States, the CIS, any real influence of Moscow on the other member nations fluctuated and often causes conflict. Ukraine was once a member of the CIS, but it has withdrawn, much to Russia's chagrin. Ukraine has explored leaving behind its Russian ties and seeking admission in Western alliances like NATO. It is no surprise that Ukraine is less than thrilled with how its ties to Moscow have unfolded, given Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula, a province of Ukraine, in 2014, and the constant fighting over this province even led to the downing by Russian military forces in eastern Ukraine of a civilian airliner that same year. The welcoming of many of the territories of the former Soviet Union by the West has created additional tensions between the U.S. and Russia, with NATO offering membership to Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary. On the opposite side of the spectrum, Russia does its part to antagonize the United States and our allies, often supporting terrorist regimes in places like Syria, Libya, and Iran. It seems that not much has truly changed since the Russian Revolution, as the United States and Russia still continue to find themselves on opposite sides of many international conflicts. What is continuing is a determination by Russia to spread communism and Moscow-controlled geographically geographically controlled nation states, and for the United States to continue to stand in the way as the champion of freedom, democracy, and capitalism. What may be more concerning as Russia takes actions to exert more and more influence through non-traditional means, including social media and internet hacking, is that Russia has been called a hacking superpower. It is achieving things in that realm that the United States does not rival. And in fact, our own citizenry is becoming more accepting of communist ideals, such that should the time ever be right, Russia will, as it always has, wait for the next opportunity to encroach upon yet another nation. Let's just hope with recent events, that next nation won't be us. Russia's hacking activities are causing problems. In addition to actions taken during the 2016 election, Government-sponsored hackers from that nation are regularly engaging in ransomware attacks on U.S. businesses, including the Colonial Pipeline and SolarWinds. In addition, U.S. tech companies have warned of cyber attacks determined to be directed by Russian intelligence. The rise of Russia's capability in this realm is a direct result of investment by Vladimir Putin's government. Following the collapse of the Soviet Union, the Russian technology industry was thrust back into the Dark Ages, speaking in terms of computer and internet capabilities. Without the high investment by the government in technological research, the industry was essentially halted. But Putin was determined to promote innovation and to bring the nation back into the current century and beyond. And the cyber attacks we've seen are likely one way Putin is demonstrating success in his mission. But Putin's government was not simply going to fund research and development. In the spirit of the Soviet Union, his government was going to oversee and control it. It is for that reason that cyber attacks originating within that nation almost always trace back to government involvement. And the investment and related control includes companies located outside of Russia, expanding Russia's influence and the threat it poses even further. When claims were made that Russia interfered with the U.S. presidential election in 2016, the simplistic assumption made by many was that the country actually changed the outcome by hacking actual voting activity. What appears, however, to be the case is that Russia instead planted seeds on social media and elsewhere to sow division among Americans, 
In other words, it was not traditional hacking to change results or even to truly propagandize in a traditional way with the intent of a certain outcome, but instead to use various internet platforms to create general dissatisfaction among Americans. For one thing has not changed over the past 100 or so years, and that is that a dissatisfied citizenry is easier to work into rebellion. A most recent study at the University of Chicago noted that Americans today are more dissatisfied with their lives than ever since that study began in the 1970s. For anyone who doubts Russia's capabilities in this arena, let us not forget that it was Russian programmers who developed the incredibly addictive computer game Tetris. Russia regularly denies any government involvement in the cyber attacks, but various investigations, though stopping short of concluding they were government-directed, have uncovered clear government involvement. And the rise in prominence of its capabilities following the disruption of U.S. politics only emboldened Putin to be more brazen. He doesn't even seem too concerned when it's discovered his government is behind the latest hacking scandal. Russia claimed to dismantle one Russian hacking group when asked by the United States, but few believe the actions taken will prevent any future attacks. And of course, despite claims of mere coincidence, the seeming cooperation by Russia in this endeavor is suspicious given it's occurring at the same time Ukraine was responding to a serious cyber attack on its own government websites. The attacks using ransomware are only the most recent. Russian agencies have been suspected of involvement in blackouts, installation of computer worms, hacking private information for disclosure publicly, and more. The victims targeted are not just private companies, but government servers and infrastructure. One has to ask how secure is the nation if its very computer systems can be exposed by Russian hackers? How extensive are Russia's capabilities? How protected are our defense systems, our financial systems, our energy systems, water processing and power plants? Even if a hacker cannot truly access the information on these systems, could they be destroyed or tampered with to such a degree to leave us vulnerable? No doubt U.S. intelligence agencies are continuing to gather information on the plans and abilities of Russia and Russian hackers. But it's disturbing when we know when the most recent ransomware attacks occurred, the Biden administration thought that the solution was to ask Putin just not to attack certain industries. But can we believe that Putin would agree to such a thing and actually follow through? Of course not. It can only be hoped the Biden administration is is actually taking these threats posed by Russia seriously and is not underestimating the commitment of this adversary to its own goals of expansion and power. The most common news stories in recent months related to Russia and to U.S.-Russian relations focus on the seeming aggression of Russia toward Ukraine, including a military buildup along that nation's border. The threats being made by Putin are real, but it's not clear what he's really seeking through these actions. What is obvious is that if this is a test of the resolve or strength of the current administration, the Biden administration is not only failing to portray strength, but is opening the door and inviting Russia into Ukraine. Facing possible military invasion by Russia into Ukraine, President Biden seemingly indicated that Ukraine was not a key priority for him, and that any military invasion would be met not with military force, but economic sanctions. And regarding those sanctions, Most recently, despite Russia's amassing more than 100,000 troops near the Ukrainian border, the administration said it's taken off the table sanctions related to oil and gas exports and serious financial institution sanctions, such as cutting Russia off from SWIFT, the system that facilitates global banking transactions. 
you see these are sanctions that may actually have a real impact on Russia. But they've been taken off the table, and publicly so. The president earlier said in a press conference that a, quote, minor incursion by Russia may not elicit a massive Western response. And President Biden presented a less than strong response when asked about the situation in a press conference, saying this, I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and we end up having to fight about what to do and not to do. Well, one can hardly imagine a less definitive or strong statement on the U.S. position on an invasion of Ukraine. Despite administration officials attempting to clean up the president's lack of clarity on this issue, it revealed a weakness that the likes of Vladimir Putin are happy to see and view as an opening of a door. For leaders like Putin, this opportunity to go into Ukraine provides the ability to claim implicit U.S. acquiescence. And for allies like Ukraine, it is not a comforting sign of support. As Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky posted to Twitter after the U.S. President's rambling press conference, I want to remind the great powers that there are no minor incursions into small nations, just as there are no minor casualties and little grief from the loss of loved ones. Since this less-than-convincing warning by President Biden to Russia, his administration has admitted, reminding us all of the debacle in Afghanistan, that the United States, in the event of a Russian invasion into Ukraine, will not be in a position to evacuate U.S. citizens. And the president has, again sadly reminiscent of the Afghanistan withdrawal, ordered families of U.S. officials at the embassy in Ukraine to leave the country in anticipation of Russian military action. So why is Putin willing to poke the bear of the United States superpower without any apparent fear of reprisal? A review of recent history may shed some light on this question. Soon after taking office, President Biden essentially reinvigorated the START nuclear treaty by providing an extension to Putin in exchange for nothing. When cyber attacks did hit the likes of the colonial pipeline disrupting gas distribution in the United States, rather than take action against such attacks, the Biden administration gave Russia a list of industries it would like that country not to attack, basically consenting to the cyber attack against other sectors of the economy. And as Putin built up military presence closer to Ukraine, no actions were taken until just last weekend, even to consider bolstering our own troop levels in the region, likely too little too late. Even the mainstream media is confused over the lack of strength and resolve the Biden administration is showing in the face of this threatened military entry into Ukraine. MSNBC contributor Noah Rothman characterized the public announcement that the most stringent sanctions were not being considered as a shock that makes it clear that Putin and Moscow are not likely to be deterred from whatever it's planning in the region. And reports have most recently indicated that the relationship between the United States and Ukraine is suffering. A phone call between President Biden and the Ukrainian president was described by senior Ukrainian officials as having not gone well. It is clear that Ukraine is not confident in America's support should Russia decide to enter its borders. The failure to show strength in the face of this attempted expansion makes it more likely than ever that modern-day Russia may begin to pose the threat of communist expansion it undertook in the second half of the 20th century going forward and into the future. And weakness in the face of Russian activity only serves to encourage others who also seek to seize more ter territory, countries like China. As always, thank you for listening. Russia may not pose the same threat it did when it was the largest part of the Soviet Union. It may not even be the biggest threat to U.S. national security. But ignoring the severity of the threat 
only exposes the weakness of American leadership and serves to embolden our enemies around the globe. The lack of competence, strength, or even clear direction of the current administration has set the nation's national security adrift in a way that, if not corrected soon, will make us more vulnerable to outside influences and threatens our very position in the world. For those who believe that countries like Russia pose no real threat, or that their way of life has been wrongfully vilified by Western conquerors, it's worth revisiting Alexis de Tocqueville's understanding of what separated the new United States from Russia and what still does. De Tocqueville had this to say, There are at the present time two great nations in the world, the Russians and the Americans. The American relies upon his personal interests to accomplish his ends and gives free scope to the unguided exertions and common sense of the people. The Russian centers all his authority of society in a single arm. The principal instrument of the former is freedom, of the latter, servitude. Make no mistake, the same can be said today, and Russia poses a threat to freedom. Next week, I will tackle the abortion issue, not solely from a place of morality, but from a focus on respect for the rule of law, and with the intent of opening the minds of everyone involved in this debate to the possibility that the real loss highlighted by the way we speak about abortion is the willingness with which we have all allowed our federal courts, and particularly the Supreme Court, to opine on issues that simply have no constitutional basis, and to which the answer lies in the moral determinations of ourselves through our state legislatures, and not in any way on the federal government. Until then, stay free, be brave, search for truth, defend our Constitution, and God bless America. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to share the podcast with others. If you wish to help this podcast continue, you can contribute to support it by going to anchor.fm backslash solace-veritas and clicking the support button. The Defending American Exceptionalism podcast is written and produced by Solace Veritas. Original music by Canticum Octar. Special thanks to Morales Susceptor. Copyright 2022.